Welcome to today's off-season and a very good morning to uh, wherever you're tuning in today, whether it be 4SB in Kingaroy, 4VL in Charleville, 4ZR Roma, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM up there in Mount Isa, 4GC at Charters Towers, the Hot Country Network, and uh, good morning to all our listeners across the Central West through 4LG as I'm joined in the studio by Nick Backstrom. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew Watts. How are you doing? Very, very well, and Scott Parkinson looking fresh as a daisy. Feeling as fresh as a daisy. What's it? Great to be here. Great to be around you guys and great to be on the off-season. Uh, lots to talk about today and we'll come. Uh, we'll be up with today's guests shortly. But first of all, uh, lads, obviously restrictions easing uh, over the past uh, 36 hours. It was great to see a fair bit of movement mm. yesterday around town. Uh, cafes and restaurants starting to open. Obviously, there's strict um, guidelines in place. But most importantly, this is the first step with the return to sport here in the West. And that's exactly right. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens from here. And if we all do our jobs, which we've been very clear on what we need to do, then hopefully the restrictions will continue to ease. So exciting times, and I think more exciting times hopefully ahead. Yeah, it does. Uh, although the restrictions are lifting, we do need still to be careful because you've seen in other countries restrictions have lifted and there's been the spike in cases and everything else. So we still need to take care. Yeah, we certainly do. Well said. Um, obviously... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, uh, sports are in the process of releasing um, their directives in how things are going to roll out. And Scott, with your work uh, with Longreach Tennis, it, it is a step-by-step process. There's still registers that have to be in place. Obviously, in case there is an infection, we can trace where people have or have not been. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and the hard thing is, obviously, in small towns, a lot of your, a lot of your um, facilities are run by just everyday people. So yeah. we don't have people down at the tennis clubs or, you know, at the squash facilities watching what people do. So we're going to put a bit of trust in people to do the right thing. And and I think they will, watch it. And I think it's yeah. exciting. And, and, you know, when things like this happen, there's a bit of a buzz. Oh, yeah. There's a buzz, all right. Nick, uh, there's a certain buzz around athletics. Uh, I can't wait to get up there and throw the hammer. Me either, because I turned 50 in January. And when you hit 50, you're in a whole new age range. All the weights you have to throw drop. It's like yeah. a cheat code for athletics. I'm looking forward to Not it. Not the only thing that drops after 50. Well. <laughs> Scott Parkinson bringing the class. Scott Parkinson, uh, shortly we'll catch up with Jamie Soud. And there's been a lot of things happening around the NRL this week, but uh, Beer Wars hit semi-final stage. Oh, beer Wars is, is going great, Guns. And one of our, a friend of ours is Denon Kemp's beer, Bloke in a Bar, which is, is a hot favourite at the moment. It's mm. up against Great Northern. So just shares the, the process of Beer Wars. And another insight into, obviously, his podcast, one of his mates, The Big Show, who we have a bit of a chat about today. And Nick Pam O'Neill joins us to talk a little bit about the passing of the great, the late and great Darby McCarthy. Yeah, well, that's one pioneer and jockey uh, in horse racing talking about another, uh, Darby McCarthy getting through the uh, race barriers and, uh, yep. of course, uh, Pam getting through the uh, sex barriers, if I yeah. put it that way. lots <laughs> <laughs> has been working through those. <laughs> and Scott, uh, we leave... Uh, one of the most interesting chats till last, and uh, obviously the documentary that's taken uh, the country, the world by storm, has been The Last Dance, and, and a bloke that played a small part in that, but a large part in pioneering Australian basketball, Chris Anstey joins us. And, and what's he part of it? You know, the great part of being on this show is you get to interview some guys that you grew up watching. Chris Anstey is certainly one of those, made a made a part of the NBA, and, and had a, quite a strong relationship with Luke Longley, mm. who's probably been the missing factor in that documentary, let's be honest. It's one of the, the Chicago Bulls players we haven't heard from so a great chat with an absolute ripper of a bloke and to get trade to get drafted from the nbl 
to play in the NBA. That's phenomenal. Yeah, well, I mean, basketball in Australia, like, there wasn't too many no. scouts coming over and watching. But, you know, Luke Longley obviously started. And Chris Anstey, and to be fair, had a pretty good statistics over there. Yeah. Uh, performed admirably. So two great basketballs just having a chat. Sit back, gather around. This is the off-season heard across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with today's off-season. Good morning to all our listeners through 4SB Kingaroy, 4VL Charleville, 4ZR Roma, 4HI Emerald, 4LM up there in Mount Isa, 4GC Charters Towers, the Hot Country Network, and we're coming out of the studios of 4LG in Longreach, Scott, there's been plenty of talk during the week and a lot of it uh, not not real good for the NRL. The no jab, no play. Uh, the referee's lodging a, uh, a fair work uh, claim, uh, going back to the one referee. And uh, seemingly under sufferance, the NRL have released two rounds of the draw. However, we're only two weeks away from football. <laughs> so let's focus on the positive. But it seems as if, though, you know, everything's sort of just been put together real last minute. Yeah, but I think they set the date and they knew there were ducks to get in the row. And I think they're lining up their ducks now, but yeah, we'll see. Maybe what you should get your ducks in a row beforehand. But the man's opinion you want to hear, of course, is NRL legend Jamie Soward. Good morning, mate. Yeah, morning, boys. Yeah, I don't want to get bogged down too much in the negatives, but um, just want to weigh in your thoughts quickly on, on the, the players, the no jab, no play, and the referees, back to one referee. Look, I think every person has a right to make a decision of what you know goes in their body and, and uh, what they do in terms of their family and stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, when it's a, a, a unique situation like we've got at the moment, yeah, there needs to be some sacrifices probably made if you're going to to go out and play. And that's not targeting anyone. You know, like I said, if Bryce Cartwright or Brian Kelly, if they feel strongly enough and they want to see it through, man, good luck to them. You know, great. All the best. But, um, yeah, I'm actually sick of talking about it. Mm. Yeah, we've we've got a product here to be, and the first chance to be the first major sporting organisation to run in the world at the moment with COVID-19 and we're getting you know, caught up on all the minor stuff. So uh, there's 350 other odd players that are going to be taking the field in two weeks. Well, they're giving Luttrell a break for a week anyway. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, poor old Luttrell, uh, he wouldn't even know what to do when he picked up the paper you know, and had a coffee last week. He wasn't on the front or back page. So <laughs> hey, Jamie, they've given him a bit of rest. Jamie, talk about this... Um you know, going from two refs to one, is it that there are certain players or teams that are advantages or disadvantages in that respect? I think the first month is going to be a real trial and error where the referees, um, you know, struggle, maybe struggle in terms of getting the, the rhythm of the game because it's back to one referee. But we may, saw, we may see the referees actually trust their decisions a little bit more and not have to worry about someone else who's in their ear as well. So, yeah. uh, look, it's... Yeah, we need to just get on with it. One referee, two referees, five referees. It, it puts ownership back on the touch judges. And yes. the man out in the middle is the man out in the middle. He hasn't got 50 different opinions. So um, I think the first month, boys, could be a real uh, eye-opener in terms of points. I think we get a lot of points in that first month because everyone's adjusting to it. Uh, but, again, you know, every time rugby league seems to be doing something good in terms of anything... We fought, like twenty seconds later, we want to beat it up instead of realizing that we're all on the same team. So uh, I just, you know, the referees. I know that they're used to two people. Well, yeah, we want the game back. 
and a lot of people out there are struggling with a lot less and uh, they need this to come back so hopefully it comes back and Scotty I mean you can watch a lot of these old retro games with one referee and admittedly there's a couple of howlers but generally speaking you go with your, you go with your heart don't you you usually see the right thing yeah, but I think the the problem is, I mean, the fact that we've got so many television cameras now. Those other those other retro games, they're shot from one angle. So yeah. I mean, you miss so much. They don't replay everything a thousand times. Jamie, as a player, what was your relationship like with referees? Now you're a pretty cool, calm customer on our podcast and we yeah. on our radio show. But what were you like? Were you you must have had some blobs? I do remember a game where you got sent off um, at the Roosters potentially. Um, uh, I don't know if it was at the Roosters. Um, I got over in England. I had a terrible time because the the, the standard of refereeing was just uh, absolutely shite. Um, but <laughs> I did have a couple of run-ins with Matt Checkin, actually one at Brookvale uh, when they scored. Manly had scored on the siren, and uh, or two minutes to go. Hang off, so I don't miss uh, you guys to get up in the morning. Um, yeah, I, and uh, I, I yelled at him and, and pleaded with him to tell. Yeah, to stop the clock, and he didn't do it, so I blew up at him. But another time was Anzac Day. If you would have watched it, probably 2012, where we win on the siren, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, I abused him that day uh, because it, we, the decision didn't go our way, and uh, it ended up putting us in a great position. So I'm one for one. <laughs> uh, I, I always respect the referee, but what people, yeah, what kids and uh, parents fail to pass the message on to kids is. Yeah, my job's on the line when I go out there, and yeah. I'm going to react, and I'm going to say and do things probably that, in the moment, uh, is doing whatever it takes to win, and sometimes we don't pass that on. You know, we we worry about the camera going to someone after they've made a mistake, and yeah, the the swear words come out. Well, that's just footy. You know, mistakes happen, and the the players' jobs are on the line every second of every minute of every game, and we need to remember that sometimes. So, uh, look, the referees. I found that you know, guys like Gavin Badger um, that understood the players a little bit more, probably got a little bit more leeway with the players. Uh, the guys that came in and wanted to be a school teacher, uh, you, you knew you were in trouble when you got a school teacher because they weren't going to listen to anything and you weren't going to be able to say anything. I have that problem with Parco every week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, just pre-COVID, the favourites for the Premiership, Melbourne Storm, Canberra and the Roosters. Mate, do you see that changing at all? post-COVID is, you know, like it's, it's going to be quite funny to see like some of these really well-drilled sides, whether it suits suits them to come back and the, and the more disciplined sides or maybe there's those young eager sides. I think you guys touched on it on your podcast, but is there a side that you would firm as a premiership favourite post-COVID? Melbourne. I think Melbourne, uh, yeah. in terms of being able to deal with adversity and, yeah, you think about preparation and we spoke about on the podcast, I think the teams that have strong culture, strong leadership, are going to do really, really well. And it may not change from last year. The teams that uh, the flavour of the month, uh, we've seen the dramas out at Penrith, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle what's coming at them in terms of, you know, it's all right to do it for one game, two games, but if you're having to fly in on game day or, you know, and, and get that result and get that yeah. preparation right, some guys will struggle with that week to week. The older teams that have been there and done it, Roosters, Melbourne, Canberra, have got an experienced group now. Uh, they're going to really excel in this competition. And you're not going to be able to come in and, uh, you know, like, for instance, Penrith are going to be without Nathan Cleary. If they lose the next two games, 
they could be 12th or 13th all of a sudden, mm. you know, and, and that's going to really cost them. So you're not going to be able to start slow in this modified competition. I think the really experienced teams are going to put the foot down early and um, they may be too hard to catch. Let's uh, go over to the Sweet and Sour podcast. And before we talk about beer wars, I want to ask a bit about the background of obviously the, the nickname Sweet and Sour. I mean, we've seen the signs. We know it's all Jamie Sour, but where did it first eventuate? Yeah, it's... Uh, Actually, it was on the, the Cogra Hill. Uh, we had uh, fans there that made those signs through the successful period of the Dragons uh, from 09 to 11. Uh, it hasn't, we haven't done much since the Dragons, so I can say successful period. Um, you left, mate. That's why. Yeah, well, I got I got wrestled, mate. You know, that's a, when I come up for that golf day, I'll tell you the, the full story. And we'll sit down and I'll, char- I'll charge everyone else to listen, but I'll tell you guys the, the story. So... Um, Look, I think, um, you know, for me, having signs and all that kind of stuff was cool. And then uh, when I left, the guy actually contacted me privately and said, uh, would you like the sweet and sour sign? I said, yeah, sure, mate. I said, I actually want to turn it into a business. And he said, yeah, no worries, go for it. So my mum bought me uh, yeah, uh, the business name Sweet and Sour, and I've been able to turn it into, uh, yeah, the podcast and stuff like that and done a little bit of coaching with it, so... It's uh, it's great. I also um, use it when I get pissed and I go to McDonald's because I always ask for the sweet and soured sauce and they look at me and, I mean, honestly, uh, 10 years ago, I'd get a laugh from the person behind McDonald's counter. Now they just say, what? Who are you? Like some 15-year-old that's never seen me play. So, it's, it's what uh, you do in Andy. But it is, it, is, it is a good play on words. That's where you do the Andy Bickle and pull the phone out and say, do you remember when this day when it took 7 for 30 against West Indies? Oh, I carry the uh, footy card. I, I either do that or I just uh, YouTube. And it's just GI reselling me, so and just casually drop it out of your wallet instead of money. Oh, sorry, that's just my playing card from um, the <laughs> yeah, St George yeah. Premiership season, mate. Uh, beer wars at the pointy end of the season. You can get on and uh, get part of it on the Sourware official Instagram. You'd be happy to know my lovely partner. She always goes, "How do I get this off my phone?" You come to the top of her newsfeed every day. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the boys have been busy. Uh, we've had probably around two hundred thousand. Uh, engagements where votes Whoa. and views and all that kind of stuff so I've uh, really enjoyed the last two weeks working closely with our social media team on the you know write the ad scripts and, and all that kind of stuff so that, that's kind of been a bit fun uh, just to be able to come up with the semi-final preview and we're, we're down to four Furphy v Corona and Bloke in a Bar versus Great Northern oh. so um, yeah vote 5pm on my story on Friday or tomorrow uh, sorry on Friday uh, you could have voted and uh yeah, it's uh, the votes on Instagram really take it home. Bloke in a bar seems to struggle on Twitter, but every Friday at 5pm they've just come through with the goods. So uh, we've had a bit of fun with it, mate. You know, Supercellers have been great. They've given us a fair bit of, uh, I guess, liquid to be able to test <laughs> and have a bit of fun with, so it's been good. Must be more arousal factor on uh, Instagram. Yeah, it's it, it's been fun. I actually interviewed Kempi, uh, did an ISO uh, series with him, and He's, uh, for all the, you know, showmanship and all that kind of stuff, That he's actually a smart businessman. So yeah. go on and listen to that, actually. It's, uh, it's been one of our better ISOs that um, just getting a different point of view. So uh, it's been good. Hey, while we're focused Sweet and Sour podcast, one of the real stars of the show is the big show. Um, a personal, oh, personal favourite of mine. But um, <laughs> love to get in contact with him. But, mate, one thing he, he 
because I think he asked Michael Jordan played for the Charlotte Hornets. That was a couple of weeks ago. So the research wasn't there from the big show, but he, he kind of redeemed himself on the most recent episode where he talked about Michael Jordan's baseball career and actually put it in some perspective because I think for so long we've thought Michael Jordan had this failed experiment at baseball, but we watched just recently, he actually performed pretty well. And to go to the, the double A, I think he was the the step below the, the major leagues. It's a pretty big accomplishment. And I, I don't even realise the big show was over there as well. Yeah, he's um, he's my business partner. Uh, his name's Jared Mancioni, but the big show, uh, he, he works for SodaStream. He's their number one salesman in Australia. He's, uh, he's just a, an amazing person to be around, really energetic. And I uh, got him on the podcast, for the for the one liners and if you've been listening, they've been absolutely uh, yeah awful uh, in terms of research and delivery. Uh, but to hear him speak like that, it was yeah. like um, I don't know if you remember uh, what was the uh, movie? I think it was called um, oh, with Will Ferrell, and they go to back to high school. Oh, old school, old school, old school. Beg your pardon. So he goes. It's, it reminded me because I was listening to the podcast the other night. He, he did that. He went into the zone about something he's really passionate about. Mm. And I just thought, that reminds me of something. It was Will Ferrell in old school when they're trying to save their membership. Yes. <laughs> in the, and he goes into that zone, and then he blanks out and says, I don't know what I actually just said. <laughs> we can't lose our composure. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was the big show uh, when we recorded. So, um, look, if, if he... Well, I'll give him a chance, boys, on Tuesday to back it up. And if he does, uh, I may be able to lease him out to come on the show oh, next week and uh, <laughs> just get a couple little one-liners. But, look, he's great value. And I think, for me, when I sat down and talked to him, being a, a sports fan and watching Michael Jordan, when you sit down and you compare the stats of the big show and, and someone that played his whole life, that's his major sport, and what Jordan was able to do, yes. it's absolutely remarkable that this guy gave up the sport for 14 years, was the best in another sport, and then thought, it's not like, you know, Israel Folau went from league to AFL. Okay, there's some similar skills there that you're going to be able to adjust. I'm not going to say Israel was great, but you can adjust to that. You're playing up, your body shape's different, your teammates, are, you know, have had, they've been doing it their whole life. I think it was absolutely remarkable. Uh, the last dance, I just hope that we don't get a flood of these documentaries yeah. now. There's talk about Kobe and LeBron. I said to someone the other day, boys, we've we've lived that, so it's probably a little bit hard. It's always good having retrospect. Gonna be, mm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be because I've always admired Jordan. Never, I'm, I'm a Celtics fan, so we hate everyone else. But yeah, to sit back and listen to him talk so candidly about everything is something that we've been craving. I don't know if I'm craving yet yeah, to hear from from the late Kobe Bryant. I don't know if I'm craving to hear from LeBron James. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with sports docos, but it's sad that it's coming to an end. We've actually got uh, Chris Anstey coming up after you, Jamie. So it'll be interesting to have a little bit of his views on his time in the NBA. Yeah, we'll ask him. Uh, There's a bit of talk around Luke Longley and why he wasn't approached, mm. especially when Jordan gave him a little bit of a back end at the start. But uh yeah, these guys that go over and, and play in the NBA, Chris Anthony, I think he made some of the early documentary with yeah, getting did. into a fight. And uh, with that yeah, neat and tight haircut, the, the schoolboy haircut, <laughs> the school photo haircut. And uh, But you know, Chris Anthony was one of my guys that I loved watching. You know, these yeah. guys went and played in the elite yeah. of the elite, you know. So, uh, yeah, say hello to Chris for me. He's probably never heard of me, but... Uh, <laughs> 
tell him I can send him a, a spare footy card or two. I think I've got a couple <laughs> lying around. Even um, signed. And if not, if not, get him to vote on Beer Wars or hit me up on Twitter. We might be able to do a podcast with him and Shane Hill. The hammer's coming up, boys. Oh, Is he? He's going to do a wrap-up of the last dance for us in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Mate, best way to get in contact uh, with the Sweet and Sour podcast. Yeah, you can download uh, Sweet and Sour podcast on iTunes, Spotify, uh, anywhere you get that. And uh, the other one we've been doing, boys, is moving the chains, all the NFL talk with Trent Copeland, Chad Townsend, and Nick Davis. So we're pretty busy at the moment, just really in that holding pattern for the footy to come back. And you know what? If they don't want to ref, I'll go and referee. Uh, It'll be a short five. Uh, There won't be many penalties. And uh, I will get a lot of decisions wrong. It's it's the off-season heard across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with this morning's off-season and a good morning to our listeners right across the Resonate Broadcast Network as uh, Nick Backstrom joins me again in the studio. What's he here in the chair? And a very sad news uh, last week with the passing of uh, legendary and a pioneer in uh, for Aboriginals in sport, Darby McCarthy. Yeah, great, right? I didn't know anything about him, I have to admit. And, and uh, But when I read his record again, that, that's a fantastic story. That should be w- more widely known. Yeah, one an Epsom, uh, AJC Derby and a couple of Stradbrokes. And yeah. uh, joining us, friend of the show, uh, to talk a bit about Derby, uh, Pam O'Neill, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Andrew? Very well, thanks, Pam. Now, um, you would have had some dealings with Derby uh, over the years? Yes. Uh, mainly, I didn't ride with him because he was riding. Because, you know, as, as you know, I didn't get my licence till 1979. Colin rode with him, but uh, he was a very good jockey, terrific jockey. And, um, you know, he'd hold his own against anything. Well, he went over to England, was wearing the top hat and all <laughs> that. So he... Uh, you know, he, he was a good bloke, you know. Yeah, a terrific record. He's born uh, one of the camps outside Cunnamulla, I believe, and going on, I think he won three Strabrokes, uh, which is a remarkable record for any jockey. Yeah, well, he, he won on one of um, Barton Sinclair's father's horse, Malala, I think it was, yeah. he won a Stradbroke on. But and he was married. Now, you, you might, no, you wouldn't remember him before <laughs> you were time. His first wife was uh, one of the hearts. The hearts come from out at Longreach. Yes, yes, they do. Right. Yep. And um, oh, they always were immaculately dressed, the Hart family, and he married one of their daughters. But somebody told me the other day he's had seven wives. I said, my <laughs> God. Where did you get the energy? <laughs> he certainly <laughs> was a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> but, As Jim Griffith said to Graham Cook one day, he said, you must like wedding cups. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, but somebody said he had seven, he's had seven wives. Oh, dear, I'd have to look that up now. I'm intrigued. <laughs> but uh, as I said, and Pam, you're a pioneer yourself, but uh, not only a boy from the bush, but uh, proud in his Indigenous heritage. Oh, yes, because he was running a, a like a... Um, I don't know whether it was an apprentice school. It was some sort of riding school that for the Indigenous ones up there in Toowoomba there for a while. Yep. And um, and then he, he settled up in Toowoomba. And uh, I think he, he was in a home. And he hadn't been long in the home before he passed away. Yeah. Mm. Now, Pam, uh, it's obviously been a pretty tough couple of months for everybody, but uh, racing has somehow flown under the radar and kept going and uh, I was saying to Nick on local radio earlier today it's 
it's it's like a business now when you go to the races, you get your temp check, you go in, there's no fun, there's no gambling, <laughs> no fashions, it's just people getting the job done. But hats off to uh, Racing Queensland and working closely with the health authorities to keep it going. Yes, well, you know, as I said to them, um, they've done a great job. I, I rang them early in the piece because you know that there's going to be a race named after me each year. Yes, and I rang Brendan Parnell and I said, Brendan, I said, I knew something would happen that uh, this race wouldn't go on or something. And I said, Jesus, I hope it's not the Pam O'Neill Memorial when it does go on. But good on you for finding a way to take an international pandemic personally. <laughs> but anyhow, he rang me the other day. He said, Pam, we've got a race on named after you on the 30th of this month. Oh, yeah. Oh, the 30th. Yeah, I was... On, uh, Durban Cup Day. Well, good because I was a bit dirty when they gave, put the Pam O'Neill uh, put your name to the first race. They gave you a class six. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm starting to step up now. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yourself, Pam, how have you been uh, travelling over the past couple of months? Uh, been pretty quiet. Yeah. Uh, well, well, nothing's really changed because, as I said, we look after the jockeys and try and keep them on the straight and narrow. And, <laughs> but um, they, um, yeah, no, it. it it's, you're missing the going to the races. Yeah. Virtually, you know, I can't wait to get back. You yeah. didn't think you'd miss it so much. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's really, uh, you know, you take your credit and credit to the Racing Queensland, but not only that, all the participants, they're all doing the right thing, you know. So that's the main thing. I want to ask your thoughts, actually, on a race uh, that where a jockey copped a heavy suspension for not affording the horse... Um, it's fair chance in winning the race. Uh, I'll talk of Bailey Nodorf uh, on Vega 1. Uh, he got a three-month ban, and it seems to just stop there. But um, I think there should be a little bit more of an inquiry that goes on into the direction of, of uh, what he was told to do as well. It seems the jockey bears the brunt of these type of things time after time. Well, some of them do. I, I think they look into the betting side of it, but... I looked at that race, and, and this is just my opinion. I never mm. saw the head-on or anything, so I, 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 I really... I I just think that the horse got that. He got the horse into the race at the right time. He come out, and they weren't winning up along the fence. When he come out, so did the ones in front of him. But as I said, I, I couldn't really see the head-on, and to me... He just didn't have anywhere to go. He was a bit blocked, and um, they, uh, I thought the horse's head was a bit turned. But, as I said, in the stewards' room, they would look at the betting, yeah. betting turnover and mm. all that. So uh, uh, he's appealed it. Yeah. He has appealed in three months. But, you know, he is an apprentice. I really thought he should have got severely reprimanded. That's yeah. what I really thought, you know, because... As I said, the ride didn't look good when I first thought of it. Holy Toledo's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but when you look at the race and you look at the things, you know, I just thought um, he should have got, being an apprentice, he should have got severely reprimanded. Yeah. And have you got any uh, many jockeys under you at the moment mentoring? Oh, no, I'm not mentoring any. I'm just I'm just looking after the association. Oh, okay. We're yep. trying to make sure they get... Well looked after. Let's put it that way. <laughs> as long as they don't go head headbutting anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, Pam O'Neill, thanks very much for your time this morning, and no doubt we'll catch up in the coming weeks. 
Good to talk to you and keep safe. This is the off-season heard across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with today's off-season heard right across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Good morning to all our listeners. Uh, 4SB, Kingaroy, 4VL, Charleville, 4ZR, Roma, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM in Mount Isa, 4GC, Charters Towers, the Hot Country Network, and we're coming out of the studios on this brisk Sunday morning in 4LG Longreach. Scott, it's got to be said, um, all the talk at the moment is definitely about the last dance, but one sticking point with us Aussies is there's not a great deal of chat about uh, the great pioneer in Australian basketball, Luke Longley. Yeah, good morning, Watson. I guess one thing I love about the last dance is it started to make basketball a bit more of a focus in Australia, like in our country area of Longreach. I mean, I pride myself on being one of the top 50 basketball players in Longreach. (laughs) And we're about to talk to one of the top, you know, maybe 20 basketball players in Australian history. So very exciting stuff. But the last dance is outstanding. And um, obviously the the absence of Luke Longley, but a man who's been in the spotlight by our guest today. Definitely. And we're joined by basketball royalty in Australia, Chris Anstey. Good morning. G'day, boys. How are you? Very well, thanks, mate. And thanks for your time. And they're... Hasn't been much, well, has been zero talk about Luke Longley, but I came across a great article you wrote uh, during the week with Luke Longley, in regards to Luke Longley, in your early time in the NBA. Yeah, it's it's one of those, I guess, with all of us being in isolation, having a little bit more time, I sort of got to writing and hadn't done it for years and came across, you know, I wanted to, I guess I've been pretty fortunate through my sporting career to come across some incredible people. And it's the reason I started coaching was, to share some of the lessons that I've learned um, from some amazing coaches. But I thought I might as well get to writing some down. And, you know, I got to Luke and, you know, it just occurred to me that, well, I mean, I'd known how generous he was of his time with me. I know when I landed in the United States in Dallas when I was drafted to the NBA and it was only been there a couple of weeks and the phone rang and it was Luke. And, you know, this is a guy who's his fifth year at the Chicago Bulls going through what, we now going to be the last dance and felt, not feel obliged, we just wanted to ring up and call another Aussie and, you know, just lend his support to shine a bit of a light on what the NBA was. And for me, it was almost normalising the NBA and making it okay to have a broader perspective than just eat, live, sleep, breathe as possible every second of the day. So, you know, we kept in touch over you know, years there and, you know, I guess his generosity is extended to a lot of other people that I don't know about, but you know, through the Australian boomers and through people along the journey, because you know, I've had some messages around that story with with people that I've never heard of, and you know, some amazingly generous things that Luke's done over the years. So he's a superstar, and I, you know, the thing about the story was that while we don't hear his voice on the last dance, and we're saying we don't get that, I, I can assure you that I would imagine that those close to him you know, realise that that's not the most important part of his life and he's got a much broader perspective than some of the the sporting public and, you know, he's fine with staying out of the spotlight. And if we talk about the the last dance, Chris, we, um, the very first episode, you're actually featured um, in that first episode because Dallas actually had a bit of a victory over the Chicago Bulls and I want to ask that experience of going on court with I mean being in the NBA is one thing I mean I you know can't even say what I I've never been anywhere close to that obviously but going on the court with Michael Jordan what is that experience like and I, I understand you were looking for a bit of a photo opportunity <laughs> It was the full spectrum of emotions from excitement uh, to nervousness to 
disappointment. I, I didn't play in the first half, and I was gutted. I, you know, I knew it was going to be my only chance. And so, yeah, you're right. I was sitting in the locker room at half time, and I'm thinking, and this is before social media. This was in '98, and uh, thinking, no one's going to believe me. I haven't been playing the sport that long. You know, I've been going okay, but people back home won't believe me that I played in a, a game of basketball against Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So I thought I need a photo. And you can't sort of walk up in the middle of a game and put your arm around your shoulder and ask him to look across at the Bay of Photographers and smile. So I thought if he, I thought if he comes in the way, I'm just going to get him over help and you know, foul him as hard as I can, hard enough that he's got to respond and uh, you know, come back to me and be like, surely someone will take a photo of that. You know, just don't look too nervous. So um, t- turns out that. Um, I ended up playing early on in the third quarter, so it was a little too early in the game to do that. Um, and we came back, and you know, a teammate of mine, Cedric Sabalos, hit a three just before the buzzer to send it to overtime. And yeah, then overtime came, and I played a bit, but Nelson, our coach, decided that I was going to go in the game for the last three and a half minutes of overtime. And it was just one of those really brief moments of time where everything that could go right for us did and you know I hit a jump shot I had it dunked I got in a little scuffle with Rodman but we ended up winning and so you know I sit here talking to you guys having never lost to Michael Jordan which is very <laughs> rare but um, <laughs> and he's not calling for a rematch which is wonderful well apparently <laughs> the next episode he calls out Chris Anstey is what I've heard <laughs> yeah. I so, Chris, obviously you've had a stellar career um, starting in the NBL, drafted to the NBA. You went further abroad and played before coming back to the NBL. Take us back to, to where your love of basketball began. Uh, never really had one, to be honest. I grew up playing tennis. Um, I played tennis until just before my 18th birthday, and you know, my doubles partner growing up was a you know, a guy named Dustin Fletcher, who I'm sure a lot of people would have heard of as a fullback at the Essendon Footy Club. Yep. So, yeah, we grew, we did all the country tennis tournaments. I was, my love was tennis. I, I wanted to go to Wimbledon. and you know, the, the change was late, where um, actually my younger brother played in a, a low domestic-grade competition up at our local basketball stadium and you know, talked me into playing. He didn't actually talk me into playing at all. I kept telling him no, and Mum made me do it. Um, just to go and help my little brother out. So, uh, you know, I went up and somewhere along the way I figured out if I'm going to go, I might as well have a crack instead of just being grumpy and sulky. So I did that and scored 50-something points and there happened to be a talent scout from the Melbourne Tigers basketball club there. So I sort of fell into it. I had no intention of ever playing the game again. I think my love wasn't basketball. My love was always competition and figuring out how good I could be at any particular thing and you know clearly being seven foot tall that was detrimental to my basketball career but um I was a long way behind when I started and I suppose the, the buzz for me or the thrill for me was improving reasonably rapidly and trying to figure out how good I could become and you know, I had some really great people around me that helped me achieve that. Hey, Chris, we, we often talk about the GOAT um, and the conversation, obviously, with Michael Jordan being the greatest of all time. And, and I want to just compare him to who I think is Australia's greatest, which is the great Andrew Gaze, um, who I would put up there with the greatest of all time. Now, obviously, athletically, um, I don't think Gaze would say that he was on the same level as Jordan, but was it a similar kind of presence that he had on the court? Because I remember watching him as a kid and you'd always expect big things when Andrew Gaze was playing. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, Andrew was one of the most natural scorers, you know, probably in international basketball history. Um, and I played with him in my rookie year at the NBL. Um, so it was, a, you know, it was fascinating to watch how we went about his business, how crafty he was with and without the ball, and you know, probably one of the most pure scorers of all time. Like you said, he wasn't as gifted athletically as a you know, number of NBA guys, and. Um, but what he was able to do for Australian basketball was incredible. So I got to, to play with him, not only at the Tigers, but at the Sydney Olympics, which was fantastic as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a really tricky one for people who actually play, I think, to even feel a need to compare. Because I think everyone, you know, there's so many players who do different things for the sport in their own way. And not everyone can be the greatest, of course. But I think, you know, one of the things I reckon is to know a lot of retired athletes we talk about it is if we figure out how good we can become, um, then we've done okay. So, um, yeah, I reckon Andrew figured that out. I'm, I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan figured out how good <laughs> Look, there, there are probably thousands of other guys who've done the same that we've never heard of and uh, have been just as impactful for the other people posting him to him. Yeah, that's kind of how we got on the lonely thing, mate. doesn't matter where people rate him, the people that have got to know him, people that... Uh, that he rates uh, would rate him as one of the best blokes of now, obviously, you spent a little bit of time. You played in Spain and played in Russia, and they're often European leagues are often referred to as, as fairly strong. What was your time like in Europe? Uh, cold, lonely, <laughs> um, but it, you know, and you, you kind of get over that pretty quickly, and, and you get back to work. And um, that was part of the reason for going. I mean, they they paid us well, but. It was a growing and sort of removing the safety net to some extent and figuring out if I could cope on my own. And I didn't think I was going to be able to after three months, but the longer it went on, I adapted. And, you know, it's good. The basketball league, from a style point of view over there, are a lot slower, but a lot, lot more physical than what they are here. So, you know... You get into more fights. You, you got to stand your ground against bigger bodies, and um, yeah. You know, on top of that, you, you're pretty miserable off the court. But you learn to put that to put that to the side and understand there's a there's a process involved in here. It's self improvement. It's financial. It's whatever reasons you want. Uh, but by the t- I tell you what, by the time I got back to the Melbourne Tigers, I you know my under twenties coach Joe Westover had just gotten the job off Lindsay Gaze and. He called me, and uh, probably the biggest reason, my daughter, you know, I came home every off-season for a couple of months and put my daughter in the kindergarten, even though it was only for a couple of months. Yep. And the smile on her face and the, the engagement she had with kids, I, mm. I couldn't go back. So, you know, all the little things, I'll never forget the first road trip, pre-season road trip I went on with the Tigers. We played in a little town called Millicent. Uh, near the Victorian South Australian border, and a bunch of the teammates of my teammates were complaining about the roadside motel we've been put up in. But mate, for me, I'd been three years in Russia, and it, it was like the four seasons. I couldn't have been happier. Everyone spoke English. The weather wasn't too bad. Um, I became the most appreciative person of some of the little things that we've got here. That um, hopefully I was an easy teammate. But um, look, for five years at Melbourne. It was almost it was a great way for me to end my career because I've been around the world. I've grown up a lot and probably had another sense of appreciation that um, enjoyed the hell out of those five years, which was uh, which was a culmination of all these things we've kind of chatted about already.
Hey, Chris, in the in the isolation period, I've um, had the manager doing some spring cleaning, and part of that was getting my awards out, and, and the prize possession is the Long Reach Wrestlers Clubman of the Year Award. Now, if you do the same thing, mate, I look at through your resume. You've got MVPs, <laughs> you've got Defensive Player of the Year, you've got Most Improved, Six Man, you've won everything. Is there one achievement or one award or trophy that means more to you than the others? Um, oh, they all mean different things, because you go back and you tell stories, don't you? But Oh, the under-23 Worlds was pretty special because no one had ever done that before. Um, I think your first championship's always great, and that was 96 at the Magic. And, you know, captaining two Melbourne Tigers championships was, was pretty special. Even since, and I've got awards that people don't even know about, you know, I've, I've coached for the last 10 years, and, you know, some of the tournaments that our junior girls have won or, or some of the state titles, there's a different sense of pride because it means so much to the other people involved. And, you know, that's the that's reason. Now, I've had my time and I've enjoyed it. and I've got a little bit to share. If I can help some of those kids or some of the players just get a glimpse and enjoy, you know, a sense of enjoyment or a memory winning something pretty special and I've been able to coach that, yeah, those medals hang in you know, just the same place in my place as what, uh, some of the ones I've able to change myself do. Chris Anstey, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning and contribution uh, to the off-season and, and a great insight into your legendary basketball career. Thanks for having me, boys. I appreciate it. This is the off-season heard across the Resonate Broadcast Network. That's about the off-season done and dusted for this 17th day of May 2020. And a big good morning to all our listeners across the Resonate Broadcast Network, whether you're on 4SB, 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG and Hot Country. Thanks to today's contributors, Jamie Soud, Pam O'Neill and Chris Anstey for what was a great insight into uh, professional basketball in the uh, late 90s and 2000s. Well, he played right across the world. It's time for today's... Raid of Origin with Scott Parkinson. Oh, geez, it's hard to come up with Watsy, but we've come up with one again. <laughs> now, I've gone for I've gone for New South Wales Origin's biggest grub. Now, you know, Watsy, we had a discussion, should it be a New South Welsh versus Queensland? Next week will be Queensland's biggest grubs, as decided by yours truly. So I've got Mick Ennis up against Paul Gallen. Now, I'm just going to share where the, the fans sit. So we've had 200 votes. And right now, Paul Gallen has got 62% yep. as the biggest grub, and Mick Ennis is 38%. Now, where do you guys sit? Because who cares about that? I want to hear your th- thoughts first. All right. Now, my first reaction to this was, I've never heard of Mick Ennis. I don't remember him at all. So I took the approach that I take when I have to host the horse racing on uh, Saturday morning, that if I've heard of the jockey, if I've heard of the trainer, if I've heard of the horse... They've got to be something special about them. Now, for that reason, I've picked Paul Gallon because I certainly know him. I know he's a moron. They keep asking him for expert opinions. They go, why do you keep asking that moron for opinions? And he's got a book out, and I'm sure one day when someone reads it to him, he'll really enjoy it. <laughs> well, there you go. Paul Gallon for Nick. <laughs> uh, look, I, I'm swinging the other way, and uh, Mick Innes, Again. because... <laughs> well, I honestly believe that most of our voters are probably Queenslanders, and... Um, Paul Gallen's the kind of bloke that you love to hate. He was a fantastic uh, forward, albeit with a little bit of a cloud over his um, ethical behaviour, perhaps, off the field. But 
And you, on. And on. But, <laughs> but I think he was the kind of bloke, if you pulled on a Maroons jersey, you would have loved him. Yeah. People he, keep saying that, but I don't see it. I keep saying it. Yeah. <laughs> but I just feel he's... He is singular. He, he, he's, he's the one. And, and as for New South Wales, so many in those, those beaten series, he was just... He'd run metres, make tackles, he'd play the 80 minutes, and he turns up again on the Saturday. Whether or not that was the peptides, I don't know. <laughs> Michael Innes was... Um, he, he played for quite a few clubs, and he was a pest. Mm. Uh, a grub probably... Well, a grub, is that a pest? Mm. Well, it's kind of a, a splitting hairs, isn't it? But, um, you know, he was often in trouble with the referees. Mm. Um, the opponents didn't like him. There was always a lot of niggle on the ground. Mm. Uh, so Mick Ennis, for me, uh, takes the chocolates there. Yeah, I didn't know where you were going there. It was just kind of a muddle up of... Yeah, but yeah, great answer, both of you. And Ben Pepperell threw out a name, Luke O'Donnell. Um, I don't know if you know who that is. Um, he was a New South Wales enforcer. Now, I did say there's a difference between a grub and a criminal. Yeah. Um, Luke O'Donnell was an absolute... I think he should be in jail. If you're listening, Luke, hello. Um, no, but I, I have gone with Mick Ennis. Yeah. Paul Gallon, and you've said it rightly, Watsy, Paul Gallon is a guy that we love to hate. Yeah. Um, I don't know tactically whether he went out there every game to do the dirty tactic, but the word niggle, for me, if you're a grub, it's about niggling the opposition. You always kind of featured whether it's words whether it's a little dirty play off to the side and Mick Ennis embraced that role <laughs> he was the type of guy and you know we talk about guys you'd love to have in your team I, look I would have loved to have Mick Ennis doing yeah. those sort of things in my side but there was times where he cost his team he did in his manner he did yeah. but there was also times where he got the head of the opposition like the yeah. Sharks when they won the grand final you got to remember that Mick Ennis played a huge part in that. So, you know, Paul Gallon, I don't like Paul Gallon. I'd really dis- like I just think he's an absolute tool, but I respect him <laughs> as a football player. Yep. Mick Ennis, I think, was the bigger grub. So, as always, it doesn't matter what you guys think. It's what I think, and Mick Ennis is the biggest grub. And, uh, boys, um, as we said at the top of the show, it's, it's great to, to see a little of the restrictions uh, easing this weekend. Uh, any plans for your Sunday or the week in front of you? Sport-wise. Or oh, any-wise, getting out and about. <laughs> I'm going to Ilford Cone for a steak sandwich today. Oh, enjoy. Yeah. Um, no, I've got to say, I'm just... Um, it'll be had that a joy of staying home because I've chosen to. <laughs> <laughs> Scott? Yeah, going to go down to the old tennis club and just wash the gates and make sure they're clean because tennis uh, singles play can now happen. So exciting times ahead. Parker, thanks for your time uh, for your contributions to this week's off-season. Oh, thank you for your contributions to the world, Watson. You're uh, a beautiful man. And Nick Backstrom, as always, will catch up uh, during the week on 4LG. Metaphorical group hug. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, though? <laughs> Andrew Watts signing out. Have a great week.